Welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Respect for Marriage Act. Congress votes on the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, which if signed by the president could enshrine same-sex unions into federal law. Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project, joins us in studio to discuss the concerning bill and how it will affect children and families. Groundbreaking analysis. A new study finds that women whose first pregnancy ends in an abortion are likely to have more fertility issues and more abortions than women who give birth. Tessa Longbond, senior research associate at Charlotte Lozier Institute, shares the details of this intricate study. Diving deep into education. Tony Kennett, a new investigative columnist at The Daily Signal, is joining the team to focus on what's going on in the American school system. He hopes to uncover how the current broken system is abusive to children in more ways than one and uncover what corrupt school executives and leaders could be hiding from parents when it comes to their children's upbringing. Abortion Democrat Raphael Warnock was declared the winner of Georgia's Senate runoff election this week against Republican challenger Herschel Walker. This gives Democrats a 51 to 49 Senate majority. However, the Republicans' new narrow majority in the House gives them the opportunity to push back against radical pro-abortion bills. During Senator Warnock's first term, he voted repeatedly to enshrine abortion on demand up until the moment of birth with no exceptions. He also voted to deny medical care to babies who survived abortions. The U.S. Senate recently advanced the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. This bill, if signed into law, would erase the sacred definition of marriage as being between one man and one woman, and it would glorify unions between members of the same sex, labeling them marriages. Twelve Republican senators voted across the aisle with Democrats to the dismay of many conservatives. The House of Representatives is voting on the bill this week, and joining me now for more details is the president of the American Principles Project, Terry Schilling. Terry, thanks for joining me in studio. Thanks for having me, Prudence. So let's start by just having you break down how disgusting and wrong and perverse it would be for a bill like this to be signed into law here in America. I think the thing that makes this legislation so egregious is how it essentially criminalizes anyone that disagrees with gay marriage. The thing that I keep questioning is, why are Republicans selling us out and giving more power to the LGBT lobby? That we've given the LGBT lobby just a tiny bit of power and they have totally taken advantage. And I'm not talking about just getting people fired from their jobs for opposing gay marriage. I'm talking about grooming our kids in schools, right? This is an agenda, this is a movement that will never be satisfied. And the idea that Republicans still think that if they just give them a little bit more, they'll go away. You're feeding the fire, you're feeding the beast, and it's gonna continue to destroy this country. So it's gonna have a really bad effect on, on not just all churches, but my favorite church, the Catholic Church. Right, yeah, you and me both. And you know, talk to me a little bit more in that vein about how we got here to the point where Republicans, who are supposed to be conservatives, would support something. Something like this. I think you can trace it all back to a big lie that so many conservatives have adopted that has greatly benefited the left um, and has also benefited the people that really don't like our issues. And that lie is that culture, I'm sorry, that politics is downstream of culture. When you really look at it, especially here in America, where political equality is what we were founded on, politics is at the center. Right. Politics is actually upstream of culture in so many ways, right? When you when you change the law. You change the culture. Uh, and so we don't think about, we have to start thinking about politics not being downstream of culture. 
we have to think about it as part of the culture because what happens is when the left gets a big victory like Obergefell, what do we do as conservatives? We run back and we write white papers, we do videos to educate people about this, and then by the time we've built up a big enough coalition, they're already moving on to things like sex changes for minors and grooming kids in schools. It's a nightmare and we need to start thinking more proactively. Yeah, great point. And you know, what's your message to Republicans in the House right now who could still be in favor of this legislation? You know, I ask because a whopping 47 Republicans have already voted in favor of this before. So what's your message to them right now? My message is that if you really care about your own family, if you care about your, your church, if you want your kids to stop being groomed in schools and being taught about homosexuality and transgenderism, stop feeding the beast. Make a tough stand. It's not even that tough. You're not going to be punished at the polls. You're not going to lose your race for voting to protect churches and their ability to dissent from gay marriage. The, the thing is, they want to act like this is um, equal to interracial marriage and opposing that. They're fundamentally different. I can think of a million reasons why we should oppose gay marriage. I can't think of a single one to oppose interracial marriage. Sure. Um, so just be brave, do the right thing, and it's going to be smart politics long term. Right. And speaking of feeding the beast, before I let you go, I know your group just published an in-depth report on the problem of transgenderism. It's called the Transgender Leviathan. Where can our viewers read it and, and what will they learn? You can find it at AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. It's, it's hot off the presses. We just launched it last week. What you'll learn is that this transgender movement is actually not a movement of gender-confused people who are just, you know, a sexual minority organizing in politics to protect their rights. What it really is, is it's a front for big pharma. It's a front for the hospitals. It's a front for these corrupt doctors and these, these corrupt associations to make money and exploit these gender-confused people. We've had gender dysphoria and, you know, people that we call transgender since the beginning of time, people have always felt uncomfortable in their own bodies, but we never profited off of it. We never created an industry beyond it. And that's what we do with the Transgender Leviathan, is we show where the money's being made, how it's being done, and why it's being pushed. These guys in Big Pharma will reinvest their profits back into politics and legislation to protect their profits and protect their ability to continue to exploit these people. We have to put an end to it. Yeah, could not agree more. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Terry Schilling, and for all the work that you do at American Principles Project. Thanks, Prudence. Violent attacks akin to domestic terrorism persist against pro-life Americans, carried out by the group Jane's Revenge, among others. The most recent incident occurred in Nebraska. A letter was found just a few days ago outside the John Paul II Newman Center near the University of Nebraska, which read, If our right to abortion in Bellevue is taken away due to the attempt to pass an abortion ban and it gets passed, we will shoot up your Newman Center with our new AR-14 rifles. Sincere Clearly, Jane's Revenge. Joining us now is Kyle Pone. He's the Midwest Regional Coordinator at Students for Life of America, and he was at the University of Nebraska Newman Center when this latest threat was issued. Kyle, thanks for joining the show. First off, tell me what the purpose of your meeting at the Newman Center was on the day that this threat was issued. What were you all doing there? Yeah, Students for Life Action held this political leadership workshop in an attempt to bring the pro-life community together, our activists together, to kind of strategize um, how to take down the late-term abortion clinic in Nebraska, operated by Leroy Carhart, who is an infamous uh, late-term abortion doctor uh, that has had multiple medical malpractice uh, cases alleged against him. Mm. Seems like a fairly, you know, innocent reason for meeting. And, and tell me what happened that day. Were you there when students from your group came upon that note? 
Yes, I was part of the group that found the note in the morning when we arrived um, to set it up for the leadership workshop. And it was pretty shocking to see that um, note taped to the front of the Newman Center there. Yeah, and, and what happened next? I know that police authorities are investigating. Have you received an update from them lately about what they're doing about this? Yeah, I haven't received any update yet. We immediately contacted the campus security who then contacted the police uh, here in Omaha. And we just worked with them throughout the day while we had our while we completed our leadership workshop alongside of it. Um, and that's really all I've had so far. I know there's a second note that may have been placed in Omaha. Um, I'm not sure if it was from the same person or the same group, but I know this is uh, not the only incident so far. Yeah, well, I'm glad you were able to carry out your event. But Kyle, I have to ask you, are you scared for your life, you know, that you might be in danger because of the work that you're doing to save these unborn children? You know, it's a sobering moment for us, but we, we did know after this summer, after the Dobbs v. Jackson decision was uh, dropped by the Supreme Court, we did know it was going to get a little bit rough, um, especially after Jane's revenge. While, while I was in D.C. when the Supreme Court decision happened, uh, they promised a night of rage, which just gave the green light not only for them as a threat, but they allowed other groups such as Antifa to um, go and fire, start fires in the streets, firebomb pregnancy resource centers. It doesn't just stop with them. Um, they really give the green light for other groups to go ahead and, and have violent attacks as well. Yeah, well, thanks for pointing that out, Kyle. We're praying for you and all of the other Students for Life of America students. Thanks for joining us and sharing these details. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You may remember Father Fidelis Machinsky, who we interviewed earlier this year. We received reports that a New Jersey prosecutor has dropped charges against him for trespassing during what is known as a Red Rose Rescue in December of 2018. Red Rose Rescuers typically enter the waiting area of abortion clinics and offer women red roses and pro-life information. Father Machinsky is still facing federal charges for using heavy locks and chains to block access to a New York Planned Parenthood facility in July. When we asked him what motivates him to carry out these rescues, he said he believes these unborn children deserve every effort he can give to save them. A new study by the Charlotte Lozier Institute analyzes the many negative impacts that having an abortion early in life can have on a woman's fertility and her ability to reproduce. Researchers used 17 years worth of Medicaid data to come to some alarming realizations. For starters, the CLI team found that women whose first pregnancy ends in abortion have four times more abortions throughout their reproductive years. They're also more likely to miscarry. This begs the question, is abortion really the key to success and living out the American dream? Tessa Longbonds of the Charlotte Lozier Institute joins me now to help answer that question. Tessa, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you in studio. Thanks so much for having me, Prudence. Yes, of course. I want to talk about a piece that your colleague, Dr. James Studnicki, recently published titled, Is Abortion the Gateway to the American Dream? He breaks down all of the data that you guys have found in that piece. So could you just sort of summarize that piece for me? Yes, so we hear claims all the time that women need abortion. In fact, there was a statement made by a congressman earlier this year that abortion enables women to achieve the American dream. And so Dr. Stanicki wanted to see if that was true. And what we've learned from looking at the experiences of almost 5 million women with nearly 8 million pregnancies in multiple studies is that, no, it is not true. Abortion does not help women. And so Dr. Stadnicki has looked at the impact of abortion on women's health. And instead of allowing them to achieve their dreams, it really sets them down a path that can have a negative impact on the rest of their lives. Mm, yeah, it's very unfortunate. And you know, many pro-abortion pro people, excuse me, who claim 
claim to be medical professionals say that abortion is, you know, not a very invasive procedure. It's not going to affect women in the long term. What's your response to that, Tessa? The data tells a different story. Having that first abortion makes a woman more likely to have more pregnancies, more abortions, more miscarriages, and fewer births. And of course, each abortion that a woman has makes it more likely that she's going to experience complications, like uh, complications in future pregnancies, poor mental health, even premature death. Mm. So abortion, that single abortion can have a negative impact that ripples across a woman's life. Right, and you know, we also hear from abortion activists that moms need abortion in order to take care of their other children, in order to be able to work to raise money for their kids and for their family. But I see that your study showed that abortion among mothers is pretty uncommon. Could you elaborate on that for me? Yes, this is sleight of hand from the abortion industry. They want to make abortion seem normal. They want to make it seem like a normal part of motherhood, but it really isn't. And that's clear when you look at the experiences of all women who are pregnant, not just those who have abortions. And so when Dr. Stidmicki and his team looked at the experiences of all the women in the data set, the vast majority of women with live births did not have abortions. Only 6% of the women had both births and abortions. So abortion is not normal for women, and it's not helping them improve their lives. Right, and it's the antithesis of motherhood, you know. Um, and finally, explain what you discovered about how abortion affects a woman's fertility. You know, I think this is an important part of the conversation that's often overlooked. Yes, looking at that first pregnancy outcome, women who had that abortion in their first pregnancy went on to have four times the number of abortions throughout their lives. 50% more pregnancies overall, 35% more miscarriages, but only half the number of births mm. as women who had a, a first live birth. And so that first abortion was shaping the rest of these women's reproductive lives and increasing the number of pregnancies that they would experience, but uh, resulting in far fewer births mm. than if they had had that first birth. Mm in their first pregnancy. Very interesting. Well, you always teach us so much when you come into the studio, Tessa. Thank you so much for joining us from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Thank you for having me. Coming up, a judge in Texas denies a teenager's petition to kill her twin babies, saving their lives. I speak out against the pro-abortion group who helped her seek a death sentence for her unborn children. Plus, we address so-called gender support plans with investigative columnist at The Daily Signal, Tony Kinnett, who's working to uncover how the current broken public school system works against families. Next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The New York Times teams up with the abortion industry to exploit and damage the life of yet another vulnerable young mother. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Reporter Lizzie Presser recently published an extremely lengthy article focused on the life of a teenager named G, who gave birth to twins in 2020 despite wanting an abortion. The article goes into a lot of particulars about her life after giving birth and skims over a very important part of her story, 
the fact that innately, Jean knew that two little human beings were growing inside of her. As pro-abortion people herded her into court and encouraged her to try and get an abortion via legal loopholes, G herself said the con of getting an abortion would be to, quote, kill something growing inside of me. Meanwhile, people from the group Jane's Due Process acted like drill sergeants, making G memorize what she needed to tell the judge to prove she needed the power to kill. But this pro-life judge protected those babies, and they are alive today because of him. Now, because of pro-abortion activists who set her up for failure, G continues to struggle to make ends meet, and sadly, she resents her children. Her story leaves us wondering how different her life could be if she had been met with life-affirming care in those early days. Let's pray for G and her two little girls. Former public school teacher and administrator in Indiana, Tony Kinnett, has joined the Daily Signal as an investigative columnist where he will be focused on exposing radical curricula and policies in public schools. The seasoned educator says he's excited to report on stories that are often ignored in public education. In his first piece with the Daily Signal, Kinnett exposed officials in an Indiana school district who are concealing information from parents when it comes to requests by students to undergo brutal gender transition surgeries. Many, including parents and staff, are not happy with so-called gender support plans that are being implemented behind their backs. And joining me now to discuss these worrisome policies is Tony Kennett himself, new investigative columnist at The Daily Signal. Tony, thanks for joining me. Congratulations on your new role. Tell me more about your beat and what you hope to cover to uncover in the upcoming months. Thank you very much, Prudence. The entire concept of education journalism in the last 20 years has been a very safe kind of journalism, and uh, many have taken this as kind of an easy chair approach to write these very soft-handed stories pushing left-wing agendas, mm. when many stories that parents deserve to know are being really ignored by many in both the education system and in the journalistic system as well. That's why I'm focusing on investigating a lot of things that have been left unsaid, a lot of things that aren't reported on because the left has expressed very, uh, in a very solidarity fashion uh, that you're not allowed to say anything regarding uh, issues of race in schools because that's against equity. You're not allowed to say anything against uh, issues of sex in a school because you're not affirming someone's gender. These are things that parents need to be aware of because their tax dollars are paying for it and their kids are in those schools. Yeah, that's a really good point. Let's talk about your recent piece. It's titled, What Else Are They Willing to Lie About? Indiana School Compels Staff to Hide Gender Support Plans from Parents. Can you explain what these gender support plans are and, and how they're leaving parents out of these important conversations? Absolutely. Gender support plans refer to any kind of document that a student fills out and gives to the counselor saying that they don't feel comfortable in their own body, that they feel as though they're a different gender and that they should have different pronouns. And then the school utilizes this document to develop some kind of treatment plan for the student, which, of course, they are not qualified to do. And because these are so inflammatory and they are against so many wishes of parents, uh, a lot of these school districts refrain from placing these documents online. And in the case of the South Madison Community School Corporation in Indiana, the assistant superintendent ordered counselors to send emails to teachers in which teachers were not to share anything about the student's new gender or new pronouns uh, with the parents in question if the student said they thought the environment might be, quote, unsupportive, end quote.
So it's a very strange system, and it's upset a lot of the teachers and counselors who really want nothing to do with lying to parents. Yeah, this is really alarming. And you spoke to these parents, teachers, and counselors who are against these support plans, especially when it comes to withholding this important information from these children's parents. What more have they shared with you about all of this, those parents? Well, uh, parents in particular are concerned that if, uh, in this case, the district is willing to lie to them, what other circumstances would the district be willing to withhold information? We saw in Loudoun County, Virginia, the school completely mishandle sexual misconduct allegations and hide those from parents. Would schools that are willing to hide things in one area also be willing to hide things regarding sexual misconduct? It's in the same vein with the same excuses. And on the teacher side of things, a teacher actually resigned in protest. Amanda Keegan said she felt physically ill being forced to lie to parents, and that's where she drew the line, and she ended up leaving because of it. Mm. And one more question, Tony. As a longtime educator yourself, moving forward, what's your advice to parents on how to handle these policies that are really at the heart attacking the innocence and the safety of their children? There are so many teachers inside your school system that are on your side. And my best advice would be to treat those teachers very well so they leak this information to you as soon as they get it, and then expose this kind of nonsense where it's found, report it to an organization that you trust, like the Daily Signal, and then we'll be able to help put the pressure on getting new school board members elected or getting the administration that's providing this kind of nonsense out of there and away from your kids. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your dedication and your focus to this. We look forward to reading your stories. Tony Kennett, investigative columnist at the Daily Signal. Thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing Pro-Life Weekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.